this is the Minnesota Sports Insider Podcast. Here, we talk about all things Minnesota sports. Wild, Wolves, Vikings, Twins. We cover it all. Try to take a deep dive. We try to break down players' development, how the trade market looks, how our GMs are evolving over time, and everything all Minnesota sports right here. And we are back on the Minnesota Sports Insider Podcast. Sky, again, talking Vikings. Sky, can you give us the rundown on the topics we're going to be talking about today with the Vikings? Yeah, today we will be talking about the state of the offensive line. Um, All of our new defensive pieces meshing together and how Everson Griffin fits into that. We will also be talking about our kicker situation and the QB situation, and then we'll finish it up with a Mike Zimmer segment. All right. So first on the docket was the O-line situation. Sky, you want to you just kind of talk about the this, what's going on in our O-line room? Yeah, so we all saw that disastrous preseason performance um, that happened over the weekend. Uh, right and uh, right now we have Rashad Hill starting at left tackle, and Rashad Hill he was the one who allowed the safety in the end zone, right? Uh uh-uh. uh that was the that was Dakota Dozier. Oh, that was Dakota Dozier. Yes. Okay. Rashad Hill was hurt or or not playing. Yeah. So Dakota Dozier. I don't know why he's still on our team. But um, he had, yeah, he had like two or three penalties, I want to say, and that safety, and he was just not, not okay. And our whole entire second unit of offensive line was not okay as well. And that just shows you how little depth we have at the offensive line position. And that offensive line position is a place where people get hurt a lot. I mean, it is very rare that you go through an entire season and every single one of your offensive line plays more than 14 games. I would say that, I mean, almost never happens. So uh, with that being said, it's not existent. And that is a little scary because one of those players is inevitably going to have to play because of an injury and, we don't know how that's going to look. Thoughts on uh, Udo starting potentially at left guard and Brandel being the replacement left tackle for the injured Rashad Hill? Ole Udo is an interesting prospect. I mean, people, camp, uh, people have been saying he's super athletic. He's been holding his own. Uh, more than his own um, and yeah right now he's competing I think it's for the the right guard because I think they switched Ezra Cleveland to the left guard does that sound right or no yeah I believe Ezra Cleveland's still the right guard okay so yeah it doesn't matter but um so yeah I mean I like Ole Uda I think he's better than Dakota Dozier and Drew Samia and anyone else who would play there um so yeah I mean I I think it's worth a shot. Yeah. So last year, 
Cleveland got a chance to play right guard um, for us at times. They switched him over to the left side since he originally played on the left side as a tackle at Boise. Now they're just kind of getting more comfortable on the left side of the line. Um, and they're using – or sorry, they're, they're, you're getting they're – it was the opposite. I'm sorry. So now he's on the right side, which is interesting because um, we all thought he was going to be on the left side. But who knows at this point? Uh, Udo um, has been a pretty interesting player. Um, yeah, he has the, the size and the strength of a tackle. He, I think he was going to be our swing tackle. But now because of necessity and not signing back Reef and Rashad Hill getting hurt and now Br- – so now like Brandel slash Rashad Hill are still our swing tackles. And, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see that. Um, Bradbury still looks like he's getting dominated versus our interior D line. That's scary. His anchor is not exactly great. He hikes the ball and he gets pushed back three or four yards. Pretty terrifying. Um. On top of that, um, the only sure thing we have on the offensive line. Um, oh, Scott, I think you got to move your mic. Uh, yeah, I got a question. I got a question. Oh, right right right. Um, so are are the strongest in are the strongest linemen interior offensive linemen or exterior linemen? In terms of like 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 their impact on the game, or like what do you mean? No, like. Are the interior offensive linemen the bigger offensive linemen in terms of like pure size, like weight, and like oh, how much they can bench? Oh, I'm not sure. Usually, I, I just know that the long, the longer athletes, the taller athletes are always on the on the outside. In terms of strength, it's tough to say because usually you have the shorter arms you have, the typically the easier it is to bench, you know, and stuff like that. And like, yeah. so, um. You know, it's tough to say which which one. You know, lower center of gravity. Clearly, it's the interior O line, um, in in terms of getting lower and getting you know. But I would say that right now the interior part of our O line is much stronger and has a much stronger anchor than last year's interior, and only because uh, we had Drew Samian and Dozier and Bradbury as our left guard, right guard, center combo, which all those guys are undersized for height. All those guys are underweight for their positions. And now you look at it and you got 6'5 or 6'4 Oliudo, who's very strong, had some beautiful uh, some beautiful strength numbers at the combine a few years back. And then you got still Bradbury, who's undersized, under strength, but he's quicker. But you, you got Cleveland – who legitimately I think might be a sneaky good job, good pick by Spielman, you know, and um, in the second round last year, because he legitimately actually finished the year last year, pretty solid. All reports are he's having a very good camp and he got stronger and he didn't lose speed. According to Mike Zimmer, which was impressive to him. I like to hear that he got stronger in the off season, but he didn't lose at agility or ability to 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 get out of a stance, so that's those are all good things to hear. Sounds like our guards, left and right guards, are legitimately going to be upgrades from last year. Our center will be the same. We have Brian O'Neill, and I'm like now I'm really wishing that we could have signed. Like I always wanted to keep him. I wanted to keep Riley Reef the whole time, and now I really want Riley Reef because he's legitimately an average starting left tackle, which sounds boring. 
but that's so valuable in the NFL. Did you know, according to the Minnesota Vikings Twitter account um, that was posted back in January last year when the season ended, Riley Reef allowed nine pressures all year last season, and he only allowed one sack all of last year. That was good for the ninth best for all tackles in the NFL. So that's unfortunate. Any thoughts on losing Riley Reef right there? Because the left tackle is our glaring issue because right now Rashad Hill is slated to start, and we all know Rashad Hill is not a very good left tackle. And the reason why it's a glaring issue is because we drafted Christian Derrissaw in the first round this year. Everyone knows that. But the thing is, Christian Derrissaw has been battling injuries ever since we drafted him. And uh, currently he's going through this um, abdominal issue where he can't get right something with his abdominals and he's getting second opinions and um, he might have to get surgery and, or he did have to get surgery. And that that's pretty scary because Christian Derrissaw has not been able to practice really at all. And he was supposed to fill that void and, with him missing all his time, I mean, you don't know if it's um, hindering his um, like learning of the offense and stuff like that. And you don't know if it's going to be like a serious career issue, like these injuries with him. Yeah. So, I mean, losing um, Riley Reef and uh, free agency is huge because, yeah, we just have no left tackle right now. Yeah, and that's the one thing that we had really above average last year in the NFL was our tackles were legit either average or above average. O'Neal was above average, and Reef was average. Like, that was amazing for us. Like, that legitimately allowed our offense to be a top-five offense like it was. Now, your blind side isn't protected. You got some guy who – Rashad Hill who's struggling to stay healthy now. Now you got a guy in the seventh round, Brandel from Oregon State, potentially being our starting left tackle. Like, we are in trouble. Um, and, and left tackle, if Darius – and Darius is not going to play week one, I'll tell you right now. There's no way – there's no way he's – he has – like he said, he hasn't practiced. He had his second surgery on the core muscle injury um, just recently flying over to the East Coast and getting another procedure done. It's just not good news. Um, and and uh, quite honestly, if we had – the left tackle short up, I would feel very – actually, I would feel very okay with our O-line. I would say it's better than last year if our left tackle was figured out. But at this point, it feels like another – like it, now the issue could be on the left side of the O-line more than anything. And that is the blind side of Kirk Cousins, which um, we, we know the propensity of what Kirk Cousins' problems can be in the pocket – over his career and he's fumbled a lot like it, whether it's his fault or not because of a battle line he's he is typically fumbled the ball quite a lot in the pocket from being strip sacked and that is something that reef didn't allow like again nine pressures in 16 games like two pressures if, if Kirk cousin throws the ball 32 times a game He's only allowing one or two pressures in that entire game against the best end from that team on that side of the field. That's really good. I mean, I hate to break it to people, but 
a pressure isn't even a sack because he allowed one. He allowed one all year, and I believe it was to um I think it was the Bears DN. No, it might have been it might have been Zadarius Smith of the Packers. So um yeah, it's it's a little unfortunate. There's definitely con- concern, and I but I will say just to be positive to wrap up this little segment with the O line. Um, I think our interior is a little bit better than last year, which is not saying a lot, but we'll move on from that. So the next topic, what do we got, Sky? The all of our new defensive pieces and our defense in general meshing together, uh, and how Everson Griffin could fit in with that. So let's go through some of the players we have added: Patrick Peterson from the Cardinals. Um, we've added Xavier Woods from the Cowboys. We've added Bashad Breland, who played with Green Bay a few years ago and then Kansas City the last two years. Um, we've added Dalvin Tomlinson in, in free agency um, We for a two-year deal, um, plays D-tackle for us. We've, we, we've technically, if you think about it, added Michael Pierce you know, this year, even though we signed him last year and he opted out because of COVID. And, but we, we get him back in the mix. Um we get Daniel Hunter back from the, you know, essentially that's how I look at it, right? Like not a new piece to our team, but I wasn't there last year with the herniated disc. Um, we get him um, potentially sounds like we could sign Everson Griffin. By the way, I want to make a little comment about that. Um, Doogie, Darren Wilson, KSTP um, uh, had a, had some interesting remarks after sitting down with Spielman and Zimmer uh, on, on his uh, show, like just today. And two things that I thought stood out to me were this is arguably the best shape that Everson Griffin's ever been in. And like now they're just doing mental testing, like in test to see that he's okay to play. You know what I mean? Like in terms of like, I think maybe even like CTE and stuff like that with Everson, because we know his history and stuff like that, you know, unfortunately, but um, it was just he, he hearing Mike Zimmer, kind of salivate he sounded excited of how what kind of shape everson's in he said he hasn't been in this shape since 2017 were his words and i'm looking at his stats in 2017 that was also everson griffin's best year or one of his best years in his career so it's interesting um to hear that um you know even as a rotational defensive end pass rusher mixed in with Wanham, who had three sacks as a rookie last year, that's all of a sudden, like, you're looking at the D-line, like Daniel Hunter, we know who he is if he's healthy. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson's a plus D-tackle, above average. Michael Pearson, above average D-tackle. Sheldon Richardson, who's not even starting, is a rotational, above average player at the D-tackle spot. Um, Everson Griffin is an above average rotational D-end. And in Wanham is too. Like I just listed off legitimately six guys on our D line that are going to be positive impacts on our D line. And for the first time we have depth on this D line in a few years, like we have some serious depth, the bright side that, that I think it was Judd, Judd Zolgad brought this up. I liked his point of last year is Daniel Hunter didn't play. Everson Griffin wasn't there. Michael Pierce didn't play, and Tom Tomlinson was on a different team. And guess what? Guys like Jalen Holmes and Armand Watts um, and DJ Wanham and James Lynch 
all benefited from getting significant, not a little bit, significant playtime. Yes, they struggled. The whole defense struggled. So it's hard to evaluate any of that. But the fact that those guys got real NFL snaps, played over 60% of the snaps, and now those guys that I just mentioned all don't need to be starters, but they need to be second and third stringers in a pinch if somebody gets hurt is a very valuable thing to our team because now that adds depth. If our guy gets tired after a long drive or we've been on defense for a while, like you can mix and match and still get pretty good production. Your thoughts on that? One of the most exciting things or one of the things I'm most excited for this year is to see how that defensive line produces because me personally, I think uh, defensive line in football is one of the most important positions that you need to secure and have good players if you want to win football games. I mean, the QB yes. is obviously the most important. But then after that, it for me, it's offensive line and defensive line. And strictly because you like defensive line gets to the QB, generates pressure, and when they generate pressure, they generate interceptions and just bad plays in general. So, I mean, I am really looking forward to this defensive line because it could be one of the best defensive lines that we've had since, like, the Williams wall. Um, yep. And, and that's just really exciting. But uh, um, I'm also excited to see the, the secondary because three out of the four spots um, is an incoming person. Uh, Brashad Breland at cornerback, Patrick Peterson at cornerback, and then Xavier wrote Xavier Woods at uh, safety. They're they're all new and incoming, and it's gonna be interesting to see how all these new pieces on our defense adapt to like the exotic blitzes that Mike Zimmer has been known for, the complicated schemes that he's been known to run. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see if if they are able to pick that up. And I mean, if they are able to pick that up. I'm just very excited to see this defense perform because on paper with Mike Zimmer, I mean, I think that it has potential to be, I mean, easily another top 10 Mike Zimmer defense. And like you said, we have the depth to go along with that with injuries. Um, So I'm just, yeah, really excited for this defense. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to be thinking about as a Vikings fan. Get Mackenzie Alexander back too, which I think some people are sleeping on. Like that, that's a really nice depth piece on your team, you know, especially if Breland or or somebody goes down, like he knows the system. Zimmer trusts him. And he's quite frankly, um, he's not a net negative when he's in the game. He's an average player. And that's that's important to have, especially in a in a 17 game season, you know, like you want that depth in the DB room and he's part of that. And a guy to look out for that that some people have kind of slept on is Harrison Hand. Um, I've I've liked his trajectory as a player coming from Temple originally. Um, really showed out um, in parts of, of camp. Really, uh, just a guy that seems to understand the game pretty well. Picks up fairly fast. And Chris Boyd actually he was one of the 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 the, the, the only players that played well last week. Like he legitimately. Did pretty well against Jerry Judy at times. There was a couple. There was one play that wasn't so great, but he he legitimately looked like a very good backup corner. You know, like and he had some bad moments last year, but that's because he's a young guy. 
So like I was, it was nice to see Chris Boyd stay with um, a, a legit number one receiver at times uh, with Jerry, a young Jerry Judy, which I think that's pretty cool. So we'll see kind of how that goes there. Um, I, I there was there was something else I wanted to bring up, but what what was the next thing on the on the list that we have here that we want to talk about with the bikes today? The uh, kicker situation would be next uh, if you want to move on to that. All right, I'll let you. I'll let you talk about that. So you can talk about uh, our kicking situation last year and how that affected our team, and, and then and then your expectations for this year. Yeah. So as a Vikings fan, we all know the kicking woes, and it was not much different last year. Kind of accumulated with the uh, the game in in Tampa when Dan Bailey missed. Uh, quite a lot of field goals and kind of put us out of the game but I also think other things put us out of the game like the uh defensive pass interference on on I forget the corner but it was on Mike Evans in the end zone we got an interception they called the defensive pass interference even though our DB didn't even touch him but um our kicker really struggled in that game nonetheless and now we are searching for a new kicker uh, because of how bad our kicking was last year. And right now, currently, we have Greg Joseph as the number one man that is slated to get the job. And me and you went to a the night practice a few Saturdays ago, maybe three or four Saturdays ago. And when he was there, we did not like what we saw. He... He was doing pretty well early off, hitting like 30-yard field goals, and then, then he moved back and absolutely shanked, like really shanked a 50-yarder. And that, and then he started shanking some 30-yarders, and it, it was not good. He had a very bad night, and that was against no defense. And so that, that was me and you were just sitting there, and we were – like kind of odd in how bad he was and also very terrified that if this is our kicker moving into the season, we are in serious trouble. But um, that was just one night and um, there have been reports coming out recently saying that Greg Joseph has actually been quite good in camp. And I think there was a stat that came out where, uh, Greg Joseph was like 36 of 41 or something like that in all of training camp for field goal attempts. So me and you may have just been there on his off night. Uh, I'm praying to God that's the case, but, but yeah, I'll let you go from there. Yeah. It's, it must've been just a bad day or something, but you know, to, to his defense, they didn't take any actual field goals that day or that night that we were there, they were just taking, he was just practicing on his own without a, without a line or a, a real authentic setting. So maybe he was just, there's always the thing of maybe he's trying new things of trying to kick it a certain way, trying to get backspin, trying to work on his plant foot, trying to work on his timing where he's not focused on hitting field goals down the middle. There's always that. Cause I, I mean, I think sometimes as fans, we, we think just objectively or like, his he should his goal is to get in the in the post 
But I think there's a lot more to it as a kicker that we don't know about as fans. So there's always that chance that when he was just off by himself with one guy holding it, you know, or, or even like putting it with his little thing or that little whatever holder for it, um, you know, maybe, maybe he was working on something. But nonetheless, that 36 for 41 that he, he's put out over the last few weeks is pretty good. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And I, I, got, I was trying to get some more perspective on that. Um, to give reference, Dan Bailey had about 52 attempts last year, and it was reported that he made 40 out of 52. So right now, Joseph is, is doing better than what Bailey did in camp, according to the people that have been covering these kind of things, for whatever that's worth. So I think that's interesting context to bring out. So at least he's not worse than what Dan Bailey did last year. But again, that's not saying that much. So I think the hope is that our special teams isn't a complete sieve this year, because from the, I mean, our punting yards per punt was last or second to last in the NFL. Our kicking field goal percentage was second to last in the NFL. Our extra point percentage was last in the NFL last year. And our yards per return for our kickoff and our punt return was bottom five in the NFL. So all around, one of the worst overall special team seasons in Vikings franchise history last year. The only way's up, right? Like we're just hoping that D.D. Westbrook can do something uh, and get healthy and can provide a boost. And unfortunately, Nwang Wu, guy out of Iowa State, gets injured hopefully he's okay you know like amir smith apparently he's dropped a couple returns he's probably just more of a receiver at this point um you know but it's just you just hope that our special teams can do more there's some comments about from zimmer after the preseason game um saying he is very concerned about our punting and he made it clear that he's he's not confident with what Colquitt's doing and his stats don't lie. The, the film test doesn't lie. Those punts are pretty bad. They're not getting a lot of airtime. Like he, like he said, they're not getting enough distance and, and it's just putting the, the team in tough field positions. And we know in the game of football, especially if you want to win football games, field possession matters. Like the difference between uh, when you're at your 25 yard line and you're, and you got a punter, like who can legit get it 50 yards with good hang time and they have to fair catch it compared to a 40 yard punt and a guy gets a five to seven yard return. And now it's like a 35 yard punt. So a 35 versus 50 yard punt, that's pretty easy math. 15 yards is a big difference in the field, right? Like a, a team could have the ball at the 30 or if, if you got Cole quit punting and he's not doing well, all of a sudden they're at midfield at the 45, like, now they just need literally two first downs and they're in field goal range. Like it's just a big difference. And I totally see that Zimmer is, is trying to get ahead of this, but unfortunately there's not much other punters that we can go after right now that are, that are actually like have a lot of NFL standing. Um, the other thing that's interesting to point out, I guess the last thing we'll say about the, 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 the special teams is that if you do cut Colquitt and you get somebody else, the issue with that is that Colquitt is legitimately one of the better holders in the NFL on field goals. Like that's what he's been known to do. And that's what his bread and butter kind of has been. And he's, he's a guy that if, if you lose him, you're not just losing a punter, you're losing a guy that's that safety net for Greg Joseph, who will be our kicker 
because we just cut Riley Patterson. There's no other kicker to be on this roster with two weeks uh, left of preseason games. So um, that's that's interesting. So it seems like like the two things, dude, chime in here, Sky. But the two things that have not changed in this damn team over the last however long since Zimmer and Spielman took over is our kicking has sucked, okay, and our O-line has sucked. And it, it just pisses me off. I don't know what you think about that. Been a glaring issue. I mean, pretty much ever since Spielman has been the general manager, and he's seemingly struggled to fix it. And I know that me and you have kind of joked on Twitter, but kind of not joked on Twitter. Like I was fairly serious when when I said we should trade a second round pick for um, the kicker on the Baltimore oh, Ravens, Tucker, and. And then I know you tweeted that too. And like people, like they laughed at you on your Twitter. Cause, um, and, but like, I mean, how, like, I think that's a good idea. Like, our kicking has struggled so much. And to, to spend a second round pick, especially if it's a, like a late second round pick, um, which you hope it would, I mean, <laughs> I would do that for security to get a, a damn good kicker for the next, hopefully, like, eight to ten years. That security is totally worth a second-round pick, in my opinion. But I guess it's just not to most other people. Um, and I get it. I guess no one ever takes a kicker in the second round, so why would you, take like, trade a second-round pick for it? But I don't know. And then, yeah, our offensive line, I mean – I, I just Zimmer or not Zimmer, uh, Spielman just doesn't like to spend high draft picks on on offensive linemen. And to his yeah. credit, he he has recently. Yeah. Um, but the high draft picks that he has spent on um, offensive linemen, I don't know. Like Christian Darius injured, and I don't know was he the one who picked Matt Khalil fourth overall? Mm, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. That's a good question. Okay, but yeah, I mean, if he was, those high picks, they might seem like they're not panning out. So it might be like one of his weaknesses. I mean, Spielman has a lot of strengths for sure. He's a he's a pretty good general manager. That's why he's been around for eight or plus years being our general manager. He's he's pretty decent at putting a roster together, but he does have issues and uh, and the line is one of them. Yeah, it's just sad. It's just sad to see. It's just consistently not been great. And I, I'm going to quickly wrap this up with that point of since Spielman's taken over, here are a – because our, our run def, our run blocking has been fine with with Spielman and, and Zimmer. It's been, it's been like middle of the road. But it, sometimes I actually think it's more of a, a – a, because we had AP into Dalvin Cook. Right, like they made our some of our grades look better than they actually were. But into pass blocking, like since they both have been here, this is from the first year on in terms of their PFF ranks for pass blocking. Here I'll go: twenty first, twenty fourth, twenty eighth, thirtieth, twenty sixth, twenty fifth, and then twenty sixth again. Those are the stats when those two since they have been here for our pass blocking. So bottom consistently almost a bottom five pass blocking team. And that's just not, 
it's just not good enough. And uh, some people might argue, well, you spend a lot of money on on Kirk Cousins. Well, guess what? Um, a lot there are quarterbacks like Mahomes who are making a lot of money, and they went in out and traded for Orlando Brown, one of the best tackles that played for the for the Baltimore Ravens and has been to a Pro Bowl. Like other teams who have good quarterbacks. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is getting paid thirty plus million a year. And they had two all pro players on their own line. Like it's not impossible. It's just, it, it's, they don't believe it's a philosophy at this point. They don't believe that having a very good O line and pass blocking is a necessity. And they rather put resources in the different parts of their team. And that that's an indictment. And I guess I'll, I, I do want to quickly get back to the point of what you said is, the most important thing, one of the most important things on a football team are the trenches. And I had a nice discussion on spaces last night with this guy that used to play college football um, for the Gophers. And quite in the early thousands, I won't, I won't say his name. I haven't talked about if he wants me to talk about him. But um, I'll just say some, a couple of things that I love. What he, what he was saying was, look what happened in the Mahomes game last Super Bowl, right, Sky? Like, Mahomes legitimately had his worst statistical game ever in his career, and it was not a coincidence. 90% of the plays that he went into throwing the ball, he was pressured on. Mahomes and the Chiefs couldn't do anything offensively, nothing. It's like when the Vikings play the Bears over the last few years. Couldn't do much, minus one game or so, right? Like, there was, there was nothing for Mahomes. They lost that game because the D line in the trenches won that game for Tampa. That's what happened. And look, let's look at let's look at this. Do we think that Jared Goff carried the Rams a few years back to the Super Bowl, or do we think that the trenches between the D line of the Rams and the O line is what held that team and got that team deep? It, the answer is the trenches. You can almost make the case that between the O-line and the D-line combined is more important than the quarterback because even the greatest quarterback, Mahomes, potentially in terms of talent, couldn't do anything in the biggest game. Couldn't do anything. And then like another scenario that we were talking about was, do we really think Jimmy Garoppolo was the guy who brought them to the Super Bowl? No. It was DeForest Buckner who's an all-pro player. It was... I mean, it was D4 who was an all-pro player on that D-line. It, I mean, it was Bosa. Like, dude, there's so many there's so many scenarios like that. You just keep going down. There's another one that people like to forget of the Eagles. Do we remember how the Eagles got to the Super Bowl that, that offseason? Do does anyone remember? It wasn't because Nick Folds was just popping. It was because the D-line and their O-line were top five. In fact, um, the Eagles' D-line that year was the number one in the league, and their O-line was fifth, the Rams. When they went to the Super Bowl, their D-line was second, their O-line was eighth, okay? And the four, the, the 49ers, their D-line was third, okay? And, oh, I forgot Eric Armstead, who's one of the best defensive players in the NFL, people forget about him, was their, their D-line was third, their offensive line was ninth. So the point is, is that it's more important because Jared Goff, Matthew, uh, Jared Goff, 
Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Foles, okay, aren't these amazing quarterbacks. Garoppolo is about to lose his job. Goff got traded away for two and two or three first round picks. Okay. And Nick Foles is literally fighting to be a third string on a team for the Bears right now. So you can't tell me that quarterbacks, like people like quarterbacks are the end all be all. No, 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 no. You gotta dominate the D line and then you get your quarterback. Because like, yeah, you can you can win like like Mahomes did, but people forget Mahomes had a top ten O line that year, and he also had a top ten D line. Like that D line was no joke that the Chiefs had. So it comes down to me saying like, man, dude, like the trenches are everything in football. And when we, we were evaluating, can the Vikings be a playoff team? Yeah. Can they legitimately get to the Super Bowl? No, no, because there's too many questions about our O-line. And if you can't have at least, like I, I go back, I can't find in history, like in history, the last 20 years or 15 years since PFF started doing grades one time, where a team got to the Super Bowl, they didn't win it. Just getting to the Super Bowl with a O line worse than the twentieth ranked pass blocking team. I couldn't find one year sky, which blows my mind. Like it, it's it just tells you how important your if your O line is bottom ten, good luck going to the Super Bowl with whatever quarterback you have. Like if you can you can get to the Super Bowl with the fifteenth ranked O line, mediocre. But you gotta have a really good D line, then like top five. And the Vikings have one of those things. They have a lot of weapons. And until, and this is the point of this guy I was talking to last night, until Mike Zimmer and Spielman, which they won't realize because they, they've made their decisions over the last five years, until they realize that you don't need an Adam Thielen and a Jefferson and a Cook, you don't need all those insane weapons to get to a Super Bowl and take one of those big contracts and turn them into a, a, an all pro old lineman like, or take Anthony Barr and take that money and say, bye bye, Anthony Barr. You're a good player, but we need it for O line until you solidify having top 10 D and O lines. You won't go to the super bowl. You won't go to the super bowl. Like it's just, it's just what it is. Like, I don't, I hate to say it to people. Cause I mean the, the 49ers, when they went to the super bowl, who were their amazing playmakers on offense? They had they had decent ones, right? But they weren't amazing. Wasn't Sky? Wasn't Moster? Like, wasn't he like the starting running back in the Super Bowl game? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Moster was their starting running back, and I want to say Emmanuel Sanders was like their main receiver. <laughs> Aging Emmanuel was, Sanders. Yeah, that was when he was old. <laughs> I mean, and it's like the Rams had. I mean, they, I'm not saying they have good pieces. They have. They had Gurley at the time. Um, actually, I don't even know if Gurley was he healthy that game when they were in the Super Bowl. I don't even know if he was healthy. But it have been when he was banged up. But they, I think he played. But I think that was C.J. Anderson. Um, I think he was. He had that big run to get them to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Anderson. I I mean, it's just clear to me. Like, you got to understand that. Like, you can't have everything in the world for these like sexy pieces. Like. At some point, you're just going to have to go and get an elite O-line. You can do it if you want to. It's been an option every year, um, whether it's free agency or trade. There was an option for us to get a, a Orlando Brown. We didn't do it. We, we didn't want to trade a first. We didn't want to trade a second, whatever the case was. So we'll move on to the last few topics here, and then we'll get out of here in the next 10, 10 minutes or so. So what, what, we, what left do we have? 
on to the QB situation. Okay. Kellen Mond um, comes out in preseason last week. Fortunately, Kubiak um, and our team have not been in, in sync in practice, whether it be COVID, whether it be the third and fourth string players just not knowing the playbook. Kellen Mond getting comfortable. Nonetheless, I thought it was a wasted opportunity because we developed Rose Jr. rather than Kellen Mond. Um, and we decided to we decided to really make this playbook vanilla for Kellen Mond, which is understandable. And people are like, well, it's a, it, they're trying to – it's vanilla. You got to understand it's the first week and he missed time. I get it. But if you're going to keep it vanilla, why don't you make vanilla play calls? instead of just making vanilla run calls 90% of the time. Like, I'm cool making horrible passing calls that are vanilla and easy to guard. But how about we just get let Kellen Mond at least try to throw those vanilla throws? Like, even as the same play two times in two different series. Like, I'm fine with that. I just want to see him have the ball in his hand instead of handing the ball off for a guy to go left or right or down the middle. And that's just what made me mad. You had it. What did you think about that? I think it's honestly kind of hilarious how we gave a guy who is our fifth string running back, fourth or fifth string running back, <laughs> um, 25 carries. Um, that does absolutely nothing for, like you said, developing anyone else besides, I mean, I guess it develops your run blocking offensive line. But like you said, our run blocking hasn't been the issue. It's been our pass blocking. So let's try to get the pass blocking reps in there. So, I mean, it is just hilarious how, like, our coaches thought that that was a good idea to, like, do. And everyone, yeah, like you said, everyone's just, like, Kellen Mond practice for three games. Well, let let Kellen Mond do a play action and run out to his right. Like, I mean, and let him scan the field. Like, that's one of the easiest things to do as a QB. That's why they make Mitch Trubisky do that. That's why they make all these terrible QBs do play action all the time because it simplifies the QB and it kind of tricks the defense or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, it was just, I just like, I agree with you. I just hated how they, wasted an opportunity to develop Kellen Mond and now I mean in this next preseason game they're going to play their starters a lot because they didn't play him at all so Kellen Mond's not going to get the time that he got in this first game so again he's not going to have adequate time to develop but I mean I I did like what I saw out of Kellen Mond's limited throwing um, opportunities he like uh, he was pressured a couple times and he was pressured so quickly because our offensive line is so bad that <laughs> he uh, faked the handoff. And before he could turn around, there was already pressure that he was facing. And I really liked how, I mean, he, he turned around quickly and he had about one second to scan the field because otherwise he would have gotten sacked. And he made the, a, a, the right call. I thought it was one of them was dropped or it was a low throw, a hard catch, but, I mean, it was a catchable ball nonetheless in the right spot, I thought. And um, a similar thing happened later in the game, uh, fake handoff, and he got pressured, and I think that one was completed. But I, I liked what I saw out of Kellen Mond's ability to face pressure 
because uh, that's probably what he's going to have to do a lot um, if he's going to be playing for the Vikings. So I, I liked that. Um, I liked – I mean, he, he's, he seemed a little quick to take off. Um, I like my QBs to stay in the pocket as long as possible and run if it's literally the la- only the last resort. It seemed like he took off a little quick, and but I mean he made great plays nonetheless with his legs and when he did take off quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean that that those are my takeaways from Kellen Mond. Yeah, I think you you summed that up very well. Uh, yeah, I, the one only thing I'll add is I thought. I was just, I just loved how quick his release was. Like, yes, some people argue his elbow sticks out or whatever, but I just love the way his, his, his release was just lightning quick and his accuracy is a serious thing. His accuracy looks really good and his arm talent is phenomenal. There's no questions. When I watch the tape, I'm like, yep, that's going to play, man. That's going to play. And there's even some ad lib plays where he had to like roll on the pocket and and make a, and make a throw to the back of the end zone, which apparently uh, Paul Charchian didn't think that was a good enough throw. But I thought that was a pretty good throw in, in, in the circumstances that he was in. So thought that was pretty interesting. I'll just quickly say Jake Browning's a hundred percent not going to be good enough to be our backup quarterback if that is what we want to do. And if Kirk gets hurt, it's going to be a long year. Uh, if Jake Browning has to be our backup quarterback. However, I think by the end of preseason, if if uh, Zimmer and our play calling uh, allows it, it should be extremely obvious that Kellenmon is much more dynamic and a better quarterback to lead this team if anything happened or were to happen to Kirk Cousins. Jake Browning, good guy, gets things done um, when, when other guys can't because of COVID. Um, you know, I'm sure he's he's coachable. I just don't see it. I think he's a, he's a third-string quarterback at best, um, and I guess I'll leave it at that. But uh, hopefully I think I'm just looking for Kellen Mond to prove that he's the second quarterback on this depth chart um, by the end of preseason. And this week, hopefully, um, you'll, you'll see Jake Browning with a quarter um, to, to show himself and maybe a quarter from Kellen Mond to show himself in the second half, and and we'll see. But um, what we got uh, one more thing left, I believe, in the docket. Mike Zimmer segment. We'll talk about Mike Zimmer. All right. So last night again, I was talking to a few people. One guy, um, one guy happens to work uh, with the Star Tribune, and he was in the space, and um, he 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 covers the Vikings, and he kind of he kind he said he's uh, he likes Mike Zimmer and he likes Spielman, but he's not a, a stan or a huge defender by any means. But he likes them because they they've created this notion of competitive. Um, and and stability for the Vikings over the last you know six seven years we've just been a pretty st- stable team our floor is seven or eight wins our realistic outcome seems to be nine to ten wins and if everything goes well and, and dandy we get 11 or 12 wins right that's that's kind of been but we never anything worse than a seven win team seems to be like with Mike Zimmer but the one thing that he made a great point of and I bet he he out he laid it out pretty nice. I won't go into too much detail. I'll just mention the games that he said was the 49ers game, the Eagles game, the game last year against the Falcons where we got annihilated. Um, and then there's another game the year before. I don't know if you could remember that game where we just got it was a bad team we just got destroyed to. Um and we shouldn't have. 
And there's always a couple games a year where we just look like we got out game planned and we're not prepared. It's more so in his opinion on the coaches in his opinion on positioning and, and preparing the players to be in the right spots. And, you know, for instance, the Eagles game was not just about execution. And yes, our O-line was horrid, but it was really about, like, if you know your O-line's bad and Fletcher Cox is coming down at you, right? Like, he's a force. and He's just tearing up your O-line. You would think that Zimmer has some kind of game plan to avoid or to stunt or to, to at least slow down Fletcher. And, and, and same thing with the 49ers game. We got obliterated at the, at the O-line. And, I, and again, like, there's got to be ways that you can at least game plan to confuse the defense, to not be so obvious. Um, and, and it seems like when big games come more times than not, Mike Zimmer sometimes does not come fully prepared preparing his players. And I, and I think the way he laid it out was saying he's not directly blaming – Mike Zimmer, he's saying there's a disconnect between the coaches as a whole and that what needs to be communicated before game day happens against better and bigger opponents is not being communicated the right way. And whether it be him who he hires for his coaching staff, whether it be what he needs to help the coaches understand or what they need to get help fixed, um, maybe he's having too much trust in the offensive O-line coaches or the offensive coordinator, but nonetheless, he, th- he thinks there's a disconnect with the preparation. And, and I think that's a big thing on Zimmer, like uh, of, you know, like being able to get to the big game, which is a Super Bowl. I'm just not sure he can, if, if there is that disconnect, if he's not an ultimate amazing uh, preparer uh, like for his players, I don't know what you think about that. That's a great point. Uh, I've never really, I've never heard anyone make that point before, but I mean, I, I could definitely get behind it. There's, I can definitely see that there could be some evidence for it. Um, and just going off of like Mike Zimmer's potential as a coach. Um, I also think that he just has some glaring flaws. Like he, he loves to run the ball just as much as he wants to throw the ball. Um, I, I don't think that necessarily is going to get you to a Super Bowl. I mean, if you get really, really lucky, it might get you to a Super Bowl. You're definitely not going to win one. Um, and then even going back a couple years ago, I remember there was a little stretch um, that started maybe middle to beginning of the season where – the Vikings had this issue where they would make their um, cornerbacks play off of the receivers like quite a bit. And even if they were playing, man, they would give them these huge cushions. And I, I remember it it got really bad uh, one game down in Dallas with, um, I mean, Dallas having that just electric offense, uh, Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, they were just torching us because, on the offensive side because for whatever reason, Mike Zimmer was refusing to adjust and he just, for whatever reason was stubborn and just trusted his, what he's done his whole career and, and his play calls that he was doing his whole career, which is, which was like sagging his 
corners off the receivers and it was just so easy for Dak Prescott to um like get the ball out quick to the right receiver because there's just no pressure and um yeah I just think there's just too many glaring issues with Mike Zimmer and I mean the new one that you brought up I mean that's just another one so yeah yeah I, I think to, to your point to wrap this kind of podcast up Mike Zimmer's MO over the last few years is like, seriously, this has been his MO. He's talked about this. This isn't even just assumption is that he'll let you get this. Like when you're saying we're playing off with our DBs, we are, and we have been. And, and and that's ultimately why like Xavier Rhodes struggled this past few years, because he went from being a man press guy to being a zone guy, which he's not. He goes over to Indianapolis and guess what? He was an all pro cornerback. Not Pro Bowl, all pro voted in the AFC last year. Last year. And I'm starting to look at it and I'm thinking, he, like, when he says things like, we're okay with allowing small chunk plays down the field inside of the 20s, he thinks that when it gets into the red zone, he can stop you. And traditionally, he's right. Our red zone defense has been awesome. And he's okay letting three points, then big chunk plays that lead to touchdowns. And that's like, that just goes back to the whole Mike Zimmer issue. A conservative coach. He's not willing, he doesn't like to run to throw the ball that much. He and he doesn't like to play uber aggressive with our DBs playing man because he doesn't want to allow the big dangerous play. It just comes back to this this nauseating like fact about him is he's scared. And like as a good coach who understands defense and wants to play this like kind of old-fashioned blue black and blue kind of north division type of of style like you can do that but you got to also show points of being the aggressor than being being this team that's uh, you're you know what we're going to give you five yards or four yards on on a quick slant or a bubble screen but you know what you're not going to get 15 or 20 yards that's not how and i feel like that kind of defense you can get mentally ripped apart because five yards after five yards after seven yards after eight yards. And all of a sudden teams are just getting confidence in, in, you know, like they're just picking out first down after first down and the whole team's kind of vibing that's playing you. And all of a sudden like you're down. And I think in big games, Mike Zimmer's strategy needs to change it. And I think, and I, and I just don't see that happening between Spielman and Zimmer. So um, not sure that would be negative, Nelly. You know, there's not to say that we can't, it can't possibly win a Super Bowl. It's just that uh, it the, the cards are definitely stacked up against us. So um, it, was, it was nice chat, Vikings, with these guys. Thanks for coming. And uh, any final thoughts on this? We wrapped it up pretty well. Covered a lot of things. So yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, next time we'll. We'll probably talk a little bit uh, reflecting upon the Vikings preseason game on Saturday, I believe, at 7 o'clock at home against the Indianapolis Colts. We will try to get a podcast up and out before or by Sunday morning so you can enjoy that. So thank you. Have a good one.